Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, uh, my name is Jacob. I'm the family pastor here. As uh, Scott uh, and his wife, uh, Meredith, were able to go on vacation for a few days, grateful that they've had the opportunity just to kind of rest up. And um, so he's entrusted me to share the message today. So I might uh, not have a job tomorrow, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, one thing that uh, might come as a surprise to you all is that this Thursday is Thanksgiving, uh, so we're here, and uh, it's just felt uh, very busy, at least for my family and I, but um, one thing that I, I wanted to maybe exercise a little bit this morning of is this. Um, I spoke this Wednesday night, this past Wednesday, on just focusing in on being thankful to God. And not just being thankful to God for some sort of void that we have in our life and that we're pretending as if we just have to, since we are Christian, that we have to put on this mask and show of something that we're not. Because what we do know, because it's regularly said in his word, that he is good. Throughout all of Psalms, the psalmists will say, Thank the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Even in Colossians 2.7, it mentions that if we are established in our faith, that we will be abounding in thanksgiving. And so something that I want us to do today, church, is within this minute, just this next minute, for us in the quietness of this space, to thank God. God for his goodness. So let's just spend some time and maybe, maybe even you are thankful for somebody that is here. And if that's the case, be beside them and, and pray with them of that goodness that he provides. So let's just spend this minute in the quietness and let's just talk with God about his goodness. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the, just the body here that whenever there are burdens that we can believe and trust in that you have created this body for us to lean on. Thank you for your word. You didn't have to give it to us. And yet because you care and love us, you have provided 
such good truth that we can have every day of our lives. Thank you, just in, as it says in 1 Peter 5, 5, that we can cast our anxieties to you because you care. And as we are just in this season of just focusing on what we are thankful for, I pray that the root of all that we are thankful for is your goodness. And help today us see your goodness alive. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As most of you know, um, we are going through a series called Follow Me, the idea of following Jesus. And as we're wrapping up this series within the next couple of weeks, we know that Pastor Scott last week spoke on um, what it looks like to be a disciple at the beginning stages as the infant stages and the toddler stages. And today we're going to look at when you grow as a disciple, how we move past the infant and uh, the infant and toddler stages. But before then, I actually want to just say this. If you are new uh, or you're visiting, we are glad that you are here. We don't think that you are just here by coincidence, but we believe that because of God's grace and love and providence, he has you here today. There are so many great churches in the upstate. There are so many wonderful community churches that are just around, and yet you are here, which just shows uh, God's grace and love over this church. So if you wouldn't mind, when you leave, just fill out a connect card. We would love to connect you with this family and with the events that are going on throughout the next couple of months. As you can imagine, there are a lot of things going on, but we just want to make sure that you feel like this is a place that you can call home. Uh, If you want to, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And uh, I know that you might be disappointed that I don't have any props or uh, an illustration that can be seen here on stage, like a couch with a, a baby doll on it and some cheese balls. Uh, I talked to Pastor Scott. I said, look, I, I looked around for like a young adult baby doll. I couldn't find them. Um, so you're just going to have to bear with me and just use your imagination as to what this, <laughs> this space of discipleship looks like. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's just pray for this passage to pierce our hearts today. Thank you, Father, uh, just for this gospel, and thank you for this time that we can have to look into your word and trust and know that it is true. And I just ask, Lord, that we can see uh, this story and how you were so real and honest and loving and caring, Jesus, as you walked this earth with your disciples and you shared with them a truth that we can stand on. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I was in the plumbing industry 
ministry for a few years prior to uh, working, uh, prior to, to being hired on at this church. And in the plumbing industry, uh, you deal with plumbers. And so, <laughs> right, duh. And uh, I remember I had a conversation with a plumber one day. And uh, I don't know how he did it because he often talked about how he would have to get into crawl spaces and roll around. And he was a very large man. Uh, but he was extremely agile for his size and, and age. But I remember he shared this story with me, and I, I didn't see it as profound when he was sharing it with me, but now looking back on it, I've realized that what he said was actually really good. And so he had an apprentice that was working under him, and uh, a homeowner had called them and said, hey, they had some issues, like there was some smell happening throughout the house. Uh, and as you can imagine, that's something that, needs attention to. And so he went to the house, they got under the crawl space, and they saw the issue. Well, he went to go get some tools as the apprentice stayed under the crawl space just to kind of maintain what was there. And as he was grabbing the tools, he heard his worker scream, I need help. (laughs) And so he went rushing, got underneath uh, the crawl space, and recognized that one of the pipes had fallen on the apprentice. And uh, let's just say it was a, it was a big mess. Uh, and both of them uh, got dirty. And they were able to fix the, the issue. But something that he said to me, I was like, that is really good. He said, I'm not just a plumber to help with those that are in need in the moment. But he's, he said, I'm also a plumber to train up other plumbers to do the same so that they can know the talents and they can know the know-hows of how to fix people's plumbing needs. And I was like, that's, that's really great. And then I didn't understand that that could have easily just been Jesus telling me of what my job is as a Christian as well. That we so often get caught up in the world and we get caught up in the me of like where I am at and where my faith is and that we tend to forget the calling of Matthew 28 of making disciples of all nations. And in the process of making disciples, it's not as if you are saving them. We have no say in that. Through the grace and love of God, by grace, people are saved. Not on our grace, but on God's grace that they are saved. But we are supposed to be beside them through the infant stage all the way up until they are grandparents. Even last week, Pastor Scott had asked the question, how many of you, when you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, did somebody come beside you and mentor you and build you up? And there was maybe five hands that were raised. And and I know that for me, there was some sort of concern behind that showing. Not that it's your fault or anyone's fault, but it's just recognizing what discipleship making looks like. And sometimes we have to come beside those that are infants. Now, if you have a baby, do you just see the baby and you throw a bottle of milk to them and just say, you got it? No, 
You have to hold the baby. You have to feed the baby milk, not cheese balls. You have to feed them milk. And as they grow up and as they start to walk, it's not as if they can perfectly walk. They stumble. You kind of have to be still beside them and, and, and try to carry them as they walk through life. And then as they are being trained and they're exercising what, they're, uh, what we're teaching them and what they're knowing, they soon begin to realize, I can run. But that doesn't mean that they're going to not fall. So we have to be beside Christians as they walk, as they live out their lives faithfully. And something that's encouraging to me is that I know that as a Christian, I am not alone. And I'm not alone in that just God has provided me with the Holy Spirit because we know that he has instilled in us the Holy Spirit, but he also has provided for us the church. And what an amazing thing that we can call family because I know that within family there are complaints as, you know, sometimes Thanksgiving isn't all about just giving thanks, but it's just chaos and sometimes messy and sometimes complaints are given. But I know that even for myself in the moment it might seem a little bit stressful, but then looking back on those memories, it's actually a really beautiful thing. So we as a family need to nurture those that are young to grow up in their faith, becoming more mature with their relationship with God so that they may also be able to train those that are young and nurture them up in their walk with God. And it's challenging because as Christians, that is what we're called to do. And I know that even for myself, whenever we would have to hire somebody on, I knew I had to train them. And that took up my time. And I had other things going on. And so it was difficult and it was a sacrifice. And sometimes myself got in the way of showing them how to be trained in this work. But through the word of God being able to help us stand firm in our faith, but also to grow others in that same likeness of Jesus. We have his word, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the church, we have his grace and love to guide us through it. And so not to feel like that that responsibility is just too much that you can bear, but understanding because of the strength and because of the love and grace that God has given us, we are able to do that work. Because some of us are here this morning and you're actually like, I, I don't even know how I'm here today. Maybe it's just dealing through anxieties and depression or maybe it's just physically you're going through it and you're just, it's, it's even hard for you to, to walk in here or it's hard for you to even just think. And yet you're here. So there's even a sacrifice of being here. So why not just have what's happening here on Sunday mornings happen throughout your week in the lives of those that are here? We see in Ephesians 4, 
verses 11, 12. It says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We see this happening through the book of Acts. When you see the day of Pentecost and thousands are saved, it's not as if that they just go their own way after that, but we actually see them building up the church and the church grew at that time. And because of that, we have this today. The faith that it took to have this is beyond what we're capable of having. But because of God, we are able to have church today. An equipping church helps to discern the callings of its family and to equip them with the right tools. The right tools to succeed and live faithfully in that calling. Now you're probably like, well, new life doesn't do that with me. Like I try to, I try to do everything in my will to, to get them to help me, help me. And I know that it can be easy to bring upon complaints or concerns, but it's not as if this church is perfect. Because this church isn't a building, it is a people, and we know that people are not perfect. I, this morning, as I was washing my hair, forgot to wash out my conditioner, so my hair is currently sticky, all right? (laughs) I can't even remember to wash my hair properly. So it's not as if we're living our lives just in a perfect manner where everything's going to be clean, clear, and under control, like Charmin. I don't know if that's Charmin's slogan or not, but um, it's messy. But for me, that's comforting because at least I know that we're not trying to put on this mask acting as if we're something that we're not. I was having a conversation with my wife. I hope she's okay with this because I didn't talk to her about it beforehand. Usually, Whenever I share a conversation uh, or share something on stage that I had a conversation with my wife about, I usually vet her beforehand just to see if it's okay, but here we go. Um, Even yesterday, she was like, this house is a mess. And I was like, it's okay. We have three children that are young, that like to color on more than just coloring books. Things are sticky don't know what the stickiness is, but it is. There are stickers, not just on paper. (laughs) But I'm so proud of my kids. And I love them. And I love to see the messiness because they are learning. As we look into this infant stage, toddler stage, and now kind of growing into this adolescent, young adult stage, there's something important for us to see and understand. It's no longer about us, but it's actually about serving others. Jesus said, I did not, Jesus, Jesus, authority of it all, said that I did not come to be served, but to serve. And this idea is of those that you want to serve you, you ought to serve them. Because if anyone deserved to be served, 
It was Jesus. So we might need to take a step back and realize that we aren't even Jesus, and yet he's proclaiming that he has come to serve. Now, we hopped into uh, this passage kind of halfway through this story being laid out. So let's jump into uh, the beginning of this story, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 20. This is what it says. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, this is, this is wonderful. So the mother of the sons of Zebedee, John and James, disciples, apostles, this mother, when you read in Matthew 27, she was there witnessing Jesus dying on the cross. She was there and seeing that the tomb was empty. So it's not as if in this moment she hears of the things going on and she's just curious. No, she was committed. And we're about to see this commitment being laid out here. So then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him and with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by for my father. And when the ten had heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Now, when you read this story, you might, what, you might think, like, what a selfish ask. And something that kind of caught me off guard the, uh, about a week ago as I was studying this passage, and something that's really beautiful about this mother. It's not unique to Jesus that somebody just kneels before Jesus and asks of a request. It was common during this time, if you were a slave or if you were somebody that knew that um, and you were trying to plead and ask for somebody that had authority, you would kneel before them and request whatever thing you had. So this isn't necessarily unique to Jesus. But what is unique is that her ask wasn't something of an earthly ask. She asked something from an eternal perspective, which means that she's not just kneeling, understanding the authority that Jesus might have in the moment, but she's kneeling to somebody that she knows has authority for eternity. So she is giving up everything that she has, even in the moment of just this earthly request, understanding that Jesus is going to be here for eternity. And not just be here, but have e authority. That's a wonderful thing to see. And even if this is a selfish ask, she at least acknowledges that he has eternal control. So what's also amazing is the mother asks the question, can you sit at my right, can my son sit at your right and, and your left? And Jesus responds, not to the mother. He responds to the heart of the situation, the sons. He looks to the sons and is like, you have no idea what you're asking. 
Because even in that ask, there is this uh, language and idea that to even be at the right and left hand of Jesus, you are going to have to die beside him on the left and right hand. And that's why he even said, you have no idea what you're asking. And then he brings up this idea of drinking from the cup. Now we know that, I say we know, some of us might, and that's totally fine. But the idea of the cup is the cup that is full of the wrath of God. We see in the Old Testament, it is spoken in Jeremiah, I believe 25, uh, in chapter 25, and also in Isaiah 52, that this cup that is spoken of is the, the cup that is full of the wrath of God. So when Jesus says, are you going to be able to drink from this cup? They said, absolutely, not knowing what in the world was being said. And even Jesus said that you, you will drink from this cup. So it's kind of odd to think that they're going to drink from the cup of uh, the wrath of God. And it wasn't as if they were going to die for our sins, but Jesus knew that they were going to live a life and that they were going to die for Jesus. So Jesus is stating, foretelling that they're going to die for him. But he also states that you're not gonna drink all of the cup like I, like I am. And we see this request when he was in Gethsemane praying, and he says, could you take this cup from me? Understanding that here soon, right after that request, he was going to drink all of that cup, and the whole wrath of God was going to be upon a man that did not deserve it. I sometimes will read especially in the, the Gospels of the disciples, and I'm like, they just seem so negligent. And I've been in the Word of God pretty thoroughly, thoroughly for about 20 years now, and um, the more that I read about the disciples, the more I can kind of relate to them. Because during this time, the culture, the kingship, the authorities... They wanted dominion over people. They wanted control over people. The idea that the people would submit to authority. And Jesus here is saying, that's the opposite of what I want to represent. That's the opposite of what my kingdom looks like. For I am king over it all. And yet, what I say is that you serve others as I serve others. And I think that sometimes in seeking relationships, um, we might just use Jesus as a stepping stone to get what we want, to satisfy our pleasures. We have wrong motives. When serving Jesus the relationships that we seek, we should seek them to glorify God. And in doing so, we will receive actually what we want. Not in a selfish way, but truly what we want is freedom, peace, justice, love, kindness. And God provides all of that. And yet we still choose chaos. We still choose a world that clearly doesn't have any control at all and yet acts often as if it does 
And this is something that is important because I believe at times when you're at church and you're serving and you love God, you will see those that act like they're in control. And I call those people the spiritually obese because what happens is, is they like to absorb a lot of knowledge, but they do not exercise what they know. And if you could think of it, if you, if you work out, I don't know if you do, clearly, you can tell that I don't. Um, but if you were to choose to just sit on a couch and you were to uh, take your pre-workout and you were just to sit there, adrenaline rushing, downing protein shakes, still eating three or four meals a day, downing more protein shakes, and you're not doing anything about that, what's going to happen? You're going to be extremely unhealthy. You're going to be unhealthy to the point where your body's going to want to just give up. And your heart's going to be in terrible shape. And it's the same with the word of God that if we just read it just to know it and nothing else is extremely dangerous. And I believe that it is more dangerous than for those that know very little but want to practice it. I know that for me, when I first started to learn how to ride a bicycle, my dad prepped me and he's like, I just want to let you know that you are going to fall. But in the process, you are not going to want to fall again. Therefore, you are going to learn how not to fall. And it's the same with scripture. I know that there's, there's so many times where we're just, uh, we might be eager to just live out what we're reading and we might stumble and we might in that moment be confused. But I believe that in those, uh, in those times, we will actually learn more and more about the grace of God. And not only will we learn more about the grace of God, but we will want to let others around us know and feel that same love and grace. We use Jesus, at least I could say this for myself, I use Jesus sometimes as a pawn rather than as my king. When we look in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus is regularly approached with questions of opportunities, selfish opportunities, uh, to be the greatest or to be in control. How can we get to your level? In Matthew chapter 18, kind of at the start of that chapter, we see uh, he is asked who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then at the middle part of chapter 19, we see that there are children that run up to Jesus and are like, yeah, like this, is, this is a really awesome guy. And the disciples rebuked the children, which is weird. And Jesus is like, back off, because these children are going to be the ones to inherit the kingdom. In Matthew, middle of chapter of Matthew of 19, Peter asks, what, what reward will we have for following you? And soon after that, we hear, and I'm sure that most of us, if you've been involved with the church, we hear, the last shall be first. 
Now, I jokingly say this a lot, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said it to Pastor Scott because now he uses it. Um, you know, New Life Baptist Church, NLBF, I always say stands for not last but first. <laughs> but uh, that is not what we represent as a church. We represent serving those that would consider to be servants. And here, in this moment of Matthew 20, we see that the disciples, the disciples were only doing what they knew because the culture said that this is how you are to live your life. Who cares of the destruction that you leave behind you? Seek after authority in this way. And within this process, their hearts were to serve themselves because that is what the culture continued to preach. But Jesus knew that that culture was going to change. R.T. France, he was a New Testament scholar, and he had written a, a commentary on the book of Matthew. And he said this pertaining to this story here. He said, the natural human concern with status and importance is clearly one of the most fundamental instincts which must be unlearned by those who belong to God's kingdom culture that was happening here in Matthew 20 seems very similar to the culture that we live in today. Seek self-righteousness, self-appreciation. Do whatever it takes for you to exalt yourself. So that's why we live in a world that is prideful and is against being humble. I know that even as I was working in the plumbing industry and um, I was a safety manager, so there was a lot of times where I had to be the bad guy and step in and say, you, you can't do that. Um, I did it because if I didn't and OSHA were to show up, we would be in some pretty, pretty bad trouble, which may or may not have happened to us multiple, on multiple occasions. So people always saw me as just this bad guy and, uh, and I continued to say that I only do what I do because it's my job. And I was thinking how insincere that I don't do it because I actually care about their safety. And I think that we do that as a church. We have this mindset of I only do what I do because it's my job rather than seeing the wonderful and beauty of the body at work beside those that are in pain, beside those uh, that are celebrating, well, oh, you only do it because it's my job. We get to do it. We get to worship Jesus. That is an amazing blessing. In Luke 10, we don't have to turn there, but you know, if you wanted to write it in your notes so you can look later. In Luke 10, chapter seven, or uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, um, the disciples were returning from some towns and uh, re they were rejoicing in what they had accomplished. Now Jesus responds with saying that I have given you the authority to do the things that you do. I saw Satan shoot out of heaven like a lightning bolt. Jesus is saying, I was there when Satan left heaven. And I was a part of that decision to shoot him out. 
So Jesus is saying that if there is anything for you to boast in, you boast in me. And this isn't Jesus saying, I'm selfish, boast in me. He was saying that I love you enough that you can go out into these cities and bear witness of my name and that you get to be a part of this body and you get to be a part of the freedom and love and not just happening here on earth but for eternity. He says that I am the one that gives authority for the demons to shudder. So our desire to serve others should be rooted in what Jesus has done for us and because of his love and grace that has saved us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, 11 and 12, it says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. uh, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we start to begin to focus on serving others, it's not as if everything's gonna be hunky-go-dory. We will very soon recognize that people are against what we represent. We see it in the world, especially in the Western world today, the fights for Judeo-Christian morals and ethics being attacked often. We might not see it too much maybe in the Boiling Springs area, but we see it throughout the U.S. And of course they're going to be against us. We see in James chapter 1, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. First of all, because it's not about us. It helps us to recognize that our lives aren't about us. It kind of humbles us to see that our lives are actually for Jesus. We don't serve and live faithfully for Jesus for control. Rather, the opposite. And I know that what helps me is to be able to have an eternal perspective. To see your successes and your failures through a heavenly vantage point. And that's what will allow us to have peace in a broken world. This is what cultivates a pursuit of growth, even if we feel like we're in a desert. And this magnifies Jesus in an idol-driven culture. In Colossians chapter three, verse two, it says this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Sometimes we are distracted with the things that are on earth that we forget about what's our eternity. And so for us, I want to encourage us that it isn't about us. That when we're here, and I know that some of us are like, well, uh, be lucky that I'm here. We're very thankful that you're here. But in doing so, we are putting forth 
even the idea of sacrificing our time, sacrificing our voices, of sacrificing just listening to a guy preach. No matter what place you are in with your maturity in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are saved by the grace of God, if you know that Jesus has saved you, you need to find your security, your hope and passions in and through God. I often say, um, you know, there's this idea of hope, like you're hoping that something is going to happen in the future. But we believe that in believing in Jesus, it's not a hope that it might happen. It is a hope that is happening. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we hear it a lot in the church to to live for Jesus is not easy. And it's not. But I know that for me, to have people beside me and to know that there are people that are going through maybe some of the same things that I'm going through kind of helps to get me through it. But the one person who went through it all more than I could ever go through was Jesus. And so he is my example to why I should believe in him. The truth secure that I don't have to worry about tomorrow, but to look at today and understand that Jesus is good in today. I'm gonna read this passage as the band comes up. I remember when I, uh, my mentor, when I first was being discipled, kind of in the infant stage, he had me go through the book of James. And Because of that, this book is near and dear to my heart because it helped me to see the love of others through Christ. And it helped me to see that we are not, we're not perfect. But it was almost like this book that, um, the book of James, it was a book that I could actually go to and just rest in. And chapter four, verse one says this. We're actually going to read 10 verses just to let you know it's a little bit lengthy. <laughs> what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is not something that is said to discourage us, to just mourn and to um, live what seems to be like a terrible life. For we read that he gives more grace. And if this message you heard was like, well, I, need, I wish my friend was here to listen to that. Maybe you need to listen to it. I remember when I was just reading the word of God and, and trying to prep for this sermon, I like teared up a lot because I saw myself in it a lot. It is something that we have to unlearn daily because it's instinctive in us to live for ourselves. But I guarantee you that if you live for Jesus, that you will find amazing joy and a joy that doesn't just reside temporarily but that resides eternally so now as we just come to a time of invitation let's just have our hearts open to this word and respond to Jesus accordingly let's pray Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truths. And thank you that we can actually trust in you and know that you will provide and know that you are there. And I just ask that as in this week, we just try to focus on what we're thankful for. I just pray that all the distractions, the worldly distractions, that they will cease as we even read in in James chapter four, that if we look to you, that the devil will flee. That even the devil will flee. And sometimes we just feel like the devil is just always on our back porch, just waiting for us to stumble. But knowing, Lord, that if we rejoice and find our truths in you, that we find our life in you, that the devil, will, he won't even be near. Thank you for today. Thank you for this church. And thank you just for this time that we have to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.